Also, you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to get a little more sleep, we'd much rather you did that, you know, in a planned location, like your bed, and not in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. You'll still miss out on some stuff we think is pretty cool and pretty fun, like seeing people who love you and people who are willing to support you. Mm -hmm. And also those kids making unusual and funny remarks during children's time. Always. And perhaps you'll miss some music or your favorite song even. You never know. We could have sung your favorite 17th century hymn this week. week. Well, not at my church, but... At mine. (laughs) For sure. We could have definitely sung your favorite camp song this week. Yeah. But we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working, or maybe you just grilled out this week for Father's Day, or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Every episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we just ask that you would keep an open mind and an open heart. And a quick note about that open mind and open heart. We're serious about it. We don't really expect you. We actually don't expect you to agree with everything we say. In fact, we encourage you to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. But our sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So I preached on Matthew on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Matthew being my favorite gospel. Mm -hmm. I know we're not supposed to have favorites. Like favorite children or favorite pets. Right. But. So in other words, Matthew's your golden child. I love me some Matthew. And Matthew gets a bad rap. People think that Matthew is anti-Semitic. But it's because they don't know their history. (laughs) Matthew is uh, written by a Jewish community to themselves Mm -hmm. about what does it mean to be a community that follows Jesus. And they were in this kind of crosstown rivalry with the Moses following Jews across the street. And so, um, so that you, whenever they talk about the Jews, they just mean the people who don't Were there agree a rumble? with us. Huh? Was, they could have there rumbles? was snapping and dancing. dancing. It was great. They okay, sang good. songs, mm-hmm. Shalom Havarim, while they were yelling at each other. It was great. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but Matthew's my favorite. Matthew is, he's all about, uh, he's all about letting us know that there's stuff to do. Right. That we're not done. That faith is not just, you think, you think a thing and then you're done. Right. So with Matthew, it's very clear that this story is not just about what happened 2,000 years ago. This story is something that calls to us and tells us this is who we are. This is how we behave. And the story today uh, is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 10, verse 8. And it's uh, this brilliant moment in Jesus's leadership of his disciples that I use on occasion myself. Um, (laughs) So what he says is he's looking out into his community and he's seeing all of this need. Yep. He's seeing people who are brokenhearted. He's seeing people who are sick. He's seeing people who are feeling isolated from their community, seeing all these things. And he's, it breaks his heart. Of course. You know, like it does. does. He see, but he's not afraid to look. He sees all of this need and he turns to his disciples and he says, pray that someone will come and help these people. And so they pray that somebody else will come Come and and help help these people. people. And then Jesus says, guess what? God has provided all the help we need. You're going to go. Right. 
which is brilliant. It's the ultimate game of nose goes. Right. And so, and so <laughs> which Chris loves to play. I play nose goes a lot. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's fascinating because what I tell people sometimes is people in church, when they get frustrated that we're not doing a particular thing that they mm-hmm. think we should do. be doing, but th- I always th- say, you know, are- if that's a thing that's important to you, maybe you're the one who needs to do it. Right. You know? Because most of the time people are saying we should do this, but they're not willing to actually. But they're not willing to do it or or whatever. But but when you get to the heart of it, like, what is the point of this? What purpose does it serve? And mm-hmm. how do we meet that purpose? Right. So, so Jesus says, man, doesn't this break your heart? Let's pray that God will send somebody. And then, by the way, that's you. Mm -hmm. So he sends out these 12 disciples. uh, And this is when they go from being disciples or people who are sort of apprenticed to a discipline Mm -hmm. to being doers, apostles, people who are posted, who are sent. Right. Um, And so it, it makes it clear that this is not just a mental exercise. This is something that we do. So he sends out these people to go and take care. And I love in the message, it says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. (laughs) Go to the lost and the confused and the people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously. So live generously. Hmm. And I love that, that Jesus is like, don't get on your high horse and try and stage right. some dramatic, you know, don't go after the baddie. Do the work. Right. Like, do the real work that's right here. Right. And and, and I love that, that he puts it in the framework of um, abundance, mm-hmm. not scarcity. Yeah. Right. And I think that's one of the, the things that, that often holds people up. Yeah. Because they get, well, because they say there's not enough. And the reality is, is that God's math is, su- is such that there is always enough. Mm-hmm. We just need to figure out how to leverage it, how to do the work. How to do the work. Yeah. So uh, the evidence uh, that they are being the church, Jesus says, the evidence that you're doing it right is that all of these people will experience healing and liberation. Yeah. Healing and liberation. Those two things, healing and liberation. And so when I think about... Um, the church throughout history mm-hmm. and how good are we at creating healing and liberation? I think we get mixed results. Yeah. I think like most, most things, like most things we get mixed results. So we haven't, we don't have a hundred percent record. Nope. Um, when I was in college, my favorite thing was when my wonderful, clever, witty, loving, uh, delightful atheist friends would mm-hmm. say, ugh. How can you go to church? Don't you know about the Crusades? <laughs> I love that argument. Yes. And people are like, what about the Crusades? And I'm like, well, I'm 1600 years too late to do anything about that. Right. Can't fix that one. Can't fix that one. Um, but recognize that sometimes political people will use religion as a cover. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but clearly the Crusades are not a moment in history when the church brought healing and liberation. Nope. No. We started a war. Literally started a war. In order to take captives. So that's not healing and that's not liberation. It's literally the opposite of those two things. uh, To have control over a powerful economic place. Yeah. So the Crusades, obviously, dark mark on our history. But then you look in the opposite direction. Think about uh, when there's a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. The church often responds immediately and stays until the work is done. So... Uh, we're part of the United Methodist Church. We have a United Methodist Committee on Relief, umcore.org, if you're interested. 
And uh, and UMCOR's disaster response policy is that we don't leave until everything is restored. So that means we're still in New Orleans. We're still in New Orleans. We're still working there. I know everybody else has forgotten about the hurricane, unless you live there. But um, but we're still there. I went to Galveston, Texas, mm-hmm. 10 years after Hurricane Rita. Mm-hmm. We were the last work team to come through. It was kind of cool because we got to see all the work. We got to see all the work that people had done and we got to kind of put finishing touches on stuff. And and it was great to see people who said, you know, it's been 10 years since this disaster and you didn't forget me. You know, like it's important that we not feel forgotten in the wake of that kind of stuff. And so that work, mm-hmm. healing and liberation, absolutely. Mark. Right? And then there are moments in our history where it's a bit squiffier. Not so squiffy. clear. Squiffy, okay. Squiffy is a technical term mm-hmm. that means squiffy. And Chris, don't you know you can't define a word by using the word? It's a circular definition, and I'm all about it. <laughs> so, uh, so the civil rights movement. Let's talk about the civil rights mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. In the civil rights movement, that work was born out of the black church in America, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the church uh, was definitely fighting for civil rights. Yes. But when you look at the proportion of white churches in America that were taking action, it was something like 10%. Yeah. 90% of white churches in the civil rights movement were either against it Mm -hmm. or silent. Yes. Because it was too controversial. Which means that if you were a white church participating in fighting for rights for black people, you were unpopular. Right. Wildly unpopular. Uh, You were probably taking some of the heat yourself. Certainly not as much as everybody else, but certainly some. So the civil rights movement is one of those moments where we see the church on both sides of something when one side is clearly right (laughs) and one side is clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, so the church has had its ups and downs doing this work throughout history. And I think where we get in trouble is we try to, when we try to manipulate scripture or manipulate the gospel into being a, a, a tool that we use to tell other people how they should be moral. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. This is how you other people should be moral instead of using it as a tool to create places, places of, of healing, healing and, and liberation, liberation. Yeah. which is clearly what Jesus is calling us to in this passage. Um, I think it's a great time to be the church mm-hmm. because, man, like I don't know that the expectations could get any lower. No. no. Right. Um, when you hear about Christians on TV, generally, it's like white supremacist, fundamentalist jerks crazy people yeah like uh westboro baptist Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. um, people who shoot up churches or Mm -hmm. whatever uh and that's not anywhere in my bible (laughs) that's not in my gospel that is not who we're called to be that is clearly a huge fail um and so if you're a christian in public and you're not a jerk you have already exceeded people's expectations yeah and that's a sad statement it's a totally sad statement about the church's reputation today however there is still so much need mm-hmm. and so much to do yep. and so many places where we cannot be a jerk in public, mm-hmm. where we can do the things that Jesus calls us to, whether we have a public platform or not, because it's what Jesus calls us to. We can be healing and liberation and not agents of control and oppression in the world. And so we do this locally. Uh, our church has partnerships now with a few different congregations around town, and we try and uh, figure out what are the things that we can do together. Yeah. Not beca- because we don't want to set up some kind of a dominant relationship where we're like, how can we help you? Right. But we recognize we're all called to do the same work. So let's do it together. And that's pretty great. 
I was thinking about our conference. There are churches in our conference that do really cool work. Uh, Merced United Methodist Church, which mm-hmm. is my home congregation. Home church. What, what? Um, they recently partnered with a bunch of community organizing groups, uh, PICO groups in the mm-hmm. Central Valley, and hosted a two-day event mm-hmm. for uh, for immigrants. Mm-hmm. And so the first day, it was it was they brought out all these resources, they had all these classes available for people to know their rights mm-hmm. in the midst of immigration stuff to. Um, work on their citizenship paperwork mm-hmm. to reapply for DACA, which is deferred action for children, mm-hmm. right? Being deported. They had seven people apply for citizenship. Wow. They had immigration lawyers who were doing free consultations, mm-hmm. pro, pro bono consultations. Mm-hmm. Um, they had 27 kids mm-hmm. leave with notarized affidavits for a chain of care. Wow. So if their parents or grandparents or whoever's taking care of them, end up being in the middle of some kind of immigration mess, they don't get shunted into the foster care system, which doesn't have the capacity to hold them. Doesn't have the capacity, nor does it have the tools. Yeah. And so so to be able to say, no, we have the paperwork in order. So if this happens, mm-hmm. we know that somebody we know and love and care that cares about our kids can take care of our kids. And, you know, like it was two days of work and at least 40 people left with some degree of knowledge and control over their situation. That's healing and liberation. Yep. And it's not something that's going to make national headlines. And in fact, let's hope it doesn't. Let's just make it yeah, make just it work for the folks who need it. Keep keep doing it underground. Like uh, they didn't feel the need to, you know, put forth a declaration to the attorney general or the president of the United States and say stop being jerks. <laughs> they just did the work. They just said, how, "What are the things that we can leverage where we are to help people feel like they have some degree of peace in the midst of what's going on?" And I think, I mean, that's being the church. Yep. That's what the church uh, should be like. Um, the United Methodist Church has kind of a checkered history around this. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, our denomination came from a bunch of different merges of other denominations. But in 1939, uh, there were three, no, five denominations that joined together. And uh, some of those de- denominations ordained women mm-hmm. and some did not. Some of those denominations ordained black people. Let's be clear, black men, and some did not. Um, But when they all joined together, they had to figure out how will we move forward as a community. And one of the things that became clear is that when there is compromise, the people who take the brunt of that compromise are often the people who are the most vulnerable in the situation. So women and African-American folks. It took another 20 years for black people to be ordained. It took another 30 years for women to be ordained in this joined denomination. And that's that's sad. It's just sad. Because what they were trying to decide was who has control. Mm-hmm. And they were drawing those lines around identity rather than capability or dedication or anything else. Or the gospel. Or the gospel. And so, um, so you know, we don't have a, a clean history either. Nope. And we're heading off to annual conference. And the reason I think annual conference is important, as much as I crack jokes about like sitting through 18 hours of business meetings every day mm-hmm. uh, and how boring that is and and stuff, is that we are doing the work of the church. We're trying to decide who will we be together and can we be a place of healing and liberation and not control and, and everything else. And I think our conference is getting better and better at that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not perfect. We still screw up from time to time. Yeah. But we, we are really intentional about making sure that we bring a lot of different voices to the table, 
about making sure that that everybody gets um, a say in the decision-making process who wants a say Mm -hmm. and that anybody can do the work um, that happens between these annual meetings. So, you know, so as as many times as I crack jokes about, about annual conference, I'm actually really looking forward to us getting together to imagine some of what you're talking about, to imagine who we should be together as a place of healing and liberation. So I told the congregation this week, like your job is to pray for us. Yep. So I told my folks too. It's, um, it's hard work, but it's great work. And, uh, and we want it to be a great experience for everybody. And so, uh, you know, we'll come back and tell you about it. And the harder you pray, the shorter that sermon will be. (laughs) (laughs) So, Good try. Good try. Yeah, nice. I don't know if that'll actually work. Nice but shot. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I think it's a great time to be the church and I, and I hope that we continue to do that work well. Yeah. So that was the sermon. Nice. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sunday morning sleep in podcast. If you have a questions for us or stories that relate to, you know, thinking about these big dreams and these, these, uh, these, the tasks before us, um, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, shoot us an email at Sunday morning sleep in at gmail.com or contact us through Facebook or any of the other ways that you can, or our website, our website. Oh yes. Sunday morning sleep The scripture for this passage was Matthew nine thirty-five through 10, eight. The music you're hearing is take me higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of the worship service for the priest to deliver a blessing to the congregation. Um, Some, you know, some just good words for us as we go from this place. And uh, there aren't any magic words to make everything right. There aren't any words that are just the exact right argument for when you get into that Twitter fight over what a true Christian believes. There's there's no magic words. Yeah. But there's you. You are a gift. You have been a gift to yourself. God has given you to yourself so that you can experience the world and all its beauty and wonder and fabulousness. And you are a gift to your community. So this week, whatever you think about whatever we've been talking about, how will you choose to live into your own skin and be a blessing? How will you love? How will you listen? How will you serve? How will you seek justice? Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving.